Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Mitch, it is bloody good to be back here with you. Thank you so much for holding down the fort whilst I took a much-needed week off, mate. Yeah, it's great to have you back, first of all. Uh, Welcome back. We don't have Grave with us tonight, so it is just going to be both yourself and myself, so Ando and Mitch, the OG Pick and Drive crew, back again. But no, we've got some good stuff to chat through tonight, and uh, it should be good. Yeah, very keen. Thanks so much for Sarah Nagama last week as well coming on. She is just a bundle of energy and enthusiasm for the wonderful game of rugby. And she's got so much insight as well to offer. Look, if I'm not going to turn up um, anytime soon, I'm pretty happy for Sarah to replace me. Um, She's great to listen to. More interesting than listening to myself, basically. Um, So send Rev some love. It's a busy time of the year for teachers. So he is just needing to have a night off to get on top of of a few things. So Mitch, why don't you hit us up for our socials and then we'll go through what we're going to be talking about tonight. Fantastic. So we're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast page. And we're also on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Now, one other thing I did want to shout out that you may have missed as our loyal fans over the last week, I featured on another podcast. So I Wee. was joined or I joined last week the rugby down under podcast with blaze from bkr sports and kiwi lad so give them a a like and a follow uh we were chatting about the wallabies and how good it is to be five from five and a few other things all happening around international rugby at the moment so it was fun to chat through with those guys great to be listening and chatting about international rugby not just focusing on australia but focusing on the world rugby game as well they've really these guys are really knowledgeable around how the the sort of statistics line up in the the world rankings. They were looking at think the world ranking of thirty. So definitely some things I learned from them around that and where certain nations are placed and how little fixtures and little results over certain teams can really throw some of those lower ranked teams around on the rankings. But definitely give them a like and a follow, and we might share a link in our uh, in our podcast notes for this episode to their podcast as well. That's fantastic. Well, tonight, what we're going to be doing is hitting up some of the spicy news that has come out over the last week. Then, obviously, well, a big part of that is actually going to be the Japan trio. So we're going to be talking through the omission of Sami Karebi, Quade Cooper and Sean McMahon from the Spring Tour. Before we then go into a review, mostly of the New Zealand-Wales game, but we'll also mention the Scotland-Tonga game too, before we then hit up the locker room and our listener questions. So is there anything else we need to cover before we move on? Don't think so. Let's get into it. Let's go. All right, now for the spicy news. The biggest news of all comes from the omission of the three Wallabies players, like we mentioned, Karevi, McMahon and Cooper. But we're going to save that for a moment and instead kind of talk about some of the news of what is happening as a result of that. So with the removal of... um, Reese Hodge and Quade Cooper, that has put a real dent in our 10 stocks with Hodge being the kind of fill-in or backup 10. So they've yeah, actually had to call Noah Lola CU. Oh, and fullback, obviously, yeah, with Tom Banks not in the squad as well. Um, that means that they've had to call Noah Lola CU in to cover 10 and it looks like Kirtley Beal 
has joined the squad or is imminently going to be joining a squad as this podcast goes out. So let's just quickly start with that. Do you think the right call has been made in terms of the two players that have been brought in to cover fullback and um, fly half? It's a really difficult situation that Dave Rennie finds himself in now. And ideally, we everyone in Australian rugby would love to have Samu Karevi and Quade Cooper available for these next tests. I think that kind of goes without saying. Uh, the decision that Rennie made to rest Noel Alessio and Harry Wilson as a greater extent, not bring players of that caliber on this spring tour to give them a full Super Rugby preseason has now unfortunately come back to kind of bite him on the butt. So it's not ideal to be bringing Noah in at this stage because I think what Rennie wanted to do was to leave him back in Canberra and let him have a full preseason but actually bulk up and maybe focus on some of the areas of his game that he just wasn't quite nailing, um, which is understandable being such a young player. So the fact that we now have him in, he potentially will have some game time in this tour if we get another injury or two. So not ideal considering that he wasn't named and now he's being flown over and it's sort of like last minute, you're back in the team, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in. But uh, personally, I'm really excited to see Kurtley Beal back. As a Waratahs fan, I always you have, would. A, have you a soft would. spot for Kurtley. I always, <laughs> I always love seeing him play. A lot of chat from people towards the end of his career that he wasn't as great and he was sort of in and out of games. But uh, I, th- I think he's one of the players now who will want to do everything he can to pull that Wallabies jersey back on. And I think yeah. when he gets that shot, he'll put his whole heart and soul into that. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. Uh, I don't, again, we're going to talk more about this in a moment. So I kind of will stick away from the Wellesio decision. But in terms of bringing Curly back in, I I was kind of happy for him and his time with the Wallabies to kind of just have finished up mm. when he made his move over to Racing. Um, but... With the situation that we currently have, I personally believe it is the right call. Um, I know that I'd, I'd called for Luke Morahan to potentially be an option, but at the time I wasn't aware that he'd been injured for the first, what, um, I'm not sure how many rounds of the premiership yeah, they've had so far, he's but he's been injured for the whole season so yeah. far. Um, so it looks like he would never have been available, even if that injury, sorry, he, he was never an option in the first mm. place. So why don't we move on anyway? Cause we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a moment. So obviously we're heading into conversations now about the spring tour and kind of the autumn nations cup was like the autumn nations competition has actually begun um, because we've already had um, two matches over the weekend, which we'll be going through in a bit. But the first Wolbies game is going to be happening this coming weekend, and it is going to be available and broadcast live on Stan Sports. So it won't be on free to air. It won't be on um, yeah Nine Gem or anything like that. But you will be able to get it through Stan Sports portal. So are you going to be watching that game live? It's um we're playing Scotland, and I'm pretty sure this is the one fifteen kickoff. I haven't decided yet. I, I love to. I do love to get up and and watch the European games at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. or whatever the kickoff, crazy kickoff times are. I just think there's something great yep. about having a quiet house to watch rugby. But at the same time, I do have to work later on Sunday. So I've got to sort of <laughs> toss up whether I get up, watch it, and then go to work a bit tired or have yep. a few hours before I go to work or, yeah, yeah. haven't yeah. made that decision. It's, it's that yet. tough tour. Yeah. Is that is that tough um call? But either way, yep, you can get it all on Stan Sports and we'll go through the upcoming games a bit later on. And then there's some interesting conversations. Actually, before here we move off of this, Rugby. there is one other thing yep. to say about Stan Sports. Uh, it hasn't officially I haven't seen it actually publicized anywhere, but there is a new show coming to Stan Sports, which I believe kicks off tomorrow night, the first of November, being Monday night. 
It's called Between Two Posts. It's hosted yep, by correct. Sean Maloney and Morgan Turanui. And I, I'm there's thought that it's going to be a sort of satire type show with a bit of rugby knowledge and, and banter and chat in it, but very much in the style of the Between the Two Ferns show that... Um, Zach Galifianakis. That's did, the yeah. name, yeah, it does. Yep. So I think with Morgan Turanui and Sean Maloney, those two just bounce off each other and we'll just be talking jokes all day. So definitely 8 p.m. I think it is, Monday night, 1st of November. Tune in and, and give them your support. Uh, that'll be that'll be great. I'm very much looking forward to it. Okay, well, World Rugby, why don't you talk us through this? And we might just touch on it quickly, but basically there there is some reports that World Rugby is wanting to revive their uh, nation's championship concept. So can you, in like a 30-second elevator pitch, just tell me what the nation's championship is and then another 30 seconds, why it should be re- revived? Go. Yeah, so the plan for World Rugby is to have some form of relevance to the I guess, the Autumn Nation series that we now find ourselves in or the Spring Tour. And so the plan is to introduce a competition that means every test match played by nations across the calendar year goes is counted towards something and goes towards a greater competition. So they're calling it the Nations Championship at the moment, but at this stage it's very much in its concept and initial stages. And the plan is that when... The, the two hemispheres play their primary competition. So up north, you've got the Six Nations, and down south, we've got the Rugby Championship. That's a self-contained competition, but overall, the points still go towards this greater world nations championship. And then when we play the uh, July tests or the, the in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia plays whoever it is that comes down and plays those three tests, those results go towards this nation's championship as well. And then we go up north at the end of the year and we play the European teams at home. Those results also go towards one unified competition. And at the end of it, depending on how you go, so I I imagine it would be like however many wins you get, you get certain points for winning, uh, for drawing. uh, I would imagine you don't get points for losing. But at (laughs) at the end of the year, there would be one winner who has the most points from winning the most amount of test matches throughout the year. And there's different concepts that have been uh, tabled by World Rugby at the moment. And that's what this is, this article and why we're talking about it again. It was initially proposed in 2018 or 2019, but the European nations weren't keen on it. So it got shelved. They're bringing it back now because I think World Rugby has really seen that we need to do more for the developing nations and we need to get them playing the top nations more regularly. And something like this will allow that to happen. One of the things is I really wish that this wouldn't be the priority if it is the priority of what World Rugby are trying to do rather than um, push towards the um, kind of the global calendar. That is the thing that is just being cried out for across the world, but it's just the domestic competitions within particularly Britain, France and Japan that are ones that are halting it, Um, at least from what I hear from the speculation that's out there. I I wish that their focus was upon improving the whole game and not just focusing on this this model unless that they're seeing this model as a way of then trying to get alignment and agreement between the member nations for a global calendar i'm not sure i just Um, don't in in the in the chat about the global calendar i just don't see how it can feasibly happen with the fact that you've mm. got winter and two opposite sides of the year in both hemispheres so how would you play one competition that, that that accounts for both of that i just don't see it happening 
Um, yeah. I think one the credit the benefit of a competition like this, the Nations Championship, that what they've they're talking about doing is having, I guess, bands. So like three bands to base yeah. clumped on sort of the the tiers, and then the tiers and the nations then fall into those tiers depending on where they are in world rugby rankings. But as the competition runs at the end of the year, I think the two bottom nations and the two top of the set tier two then will play off and be able to promote and relegate. So we may see some nations such as Fiji, Tonga, Samoa getting more game time over the years. The inclusion of Moana Pacifica and, and Fiji and Drua in Super Rugby will do massive things for these these nations. And if they have a competition like this where they know that they're going to get eight, nine, ten test matches a year against whoever it is on the World Rugby rankings. They know what they need to do to be able to move up into the t- top tier or down into the bottom tier should they not be performing as well uh, is a massive thing and it will give them more exposure on the world stage as a sport and as a nation, but it will also give them more opportunity to play and develop and hopefully yep. bring in more money and, and that, which will then allow them to develop their systems better. Well, I think that's enough on that, considering there's a lot we want to get into in terms of the, the Japan trio and the games from the weekend. Are you all right for us to be moving on? Should we just jump straight into it? Yeah, let's jump straight into it. So we've already spoken about how um, those three players aren't able, able to play or have, have made themselves unavailable to tour with the team. And Glenn Phillips on Twitter just asked the really simple question of who really knows what has actually happened. And well, obviously... Obviously, the the coach, I reckon Dave Rooney would actually know. Um, and then you would have the players that would obviously be aware of the decision that they've made. But at this point, it is just speculation, really, really kind of broad-ranging speculation. And both players, well, Cooper and Karevi in particular, because they're the main two that everybody's um, pretty up in arms about, yeah, have come out and put some statements out. But what, before we get to that... Um, who's in the wrong here or is it, is that a far too simple question to ask? I think, yeah, I don't think we can be pointing fingers at anyone in individual in this scenario. It's mm-hmm. disappointing for everyone involved, probably bar the, well, actually I, th- I still think it's disappointing for the Japanese clubs as well, but yeah. First of all, it's disappointing for the Wallabies because we le- we lose our two best attacking weapons at the moment going into a pretty tough tour of the European home nations. We then it's disappointing for the players who don't get to push and make their claim for further selection. Um they've had good like both Karevi and Quade Cooper had a very very good rugby championship, but I wouldn't say it's enough to secure them a jersey in 2023 at the next World Cup. So those players mm. would need to be continuing and playing as much game time as they can to convince Rennie to say, yes, I am that first choice that you need for 2023. Pick me and yep. I'll make it work. I'll get to Australia should I need to or whatever because I want to be playing for the Wallabies in the next World Cup. So disappointing for them in that regard. Disappointing as well for the Japanese clubs because it means that their best players aren't playing international rugby and on the world stage. But out of all three, I do think that the Japan clubs get the best of the worst situation in that they don't have to lose their players for this time and they don't risk yep. them getting injured. Yeah, correct. And I, I kind of like the approach that you've taken there because a lot of the commentary that initially came out when this news was breaking was pointing fingers at the players, was pointing fingers at um, Andy Marinos. 
pointing fingers at Dave Rennie, basically somebody was looking for someone to blame. And whilst my question was kind of setting that up in a way, (laughs) uh, it's it's just far more complex than that. And I think that the uncertainty that we've had over the last 12 months in terms of the impact that COVID has had on the Wallabies, the playing roster, the requirements for um, amendments to be made to the Gitto law have just meant that we're in a situation that we haven't navigated before. And there's got to be some grace within that situation or some leniency that it's not all going to be perfect. And so I guess for me, um, you can you can go into a little bit more detail if you want to, dear listeners, by reading Quade Cooper and Simon Karevi's posts on Instagram. But it looks like they have in so many ways been... Um, just caught in the middle between two competing factions whose goals aren't aligning and they can't comp- they can't please everybody. They obviously have their employer on one side that's saying, we are paying you top dollar to not be available for your country because that is the conditions that you, that is the situation that you were in when you signed for us and that's what we agreed to. And then the Wallabies are saying, actually, we're legally allowed to take you under Reg 9. So we'd like you to be available for us, please. Um, do you think the Wallabies should have just taken them? Because they could have. They could have just said, you are coming on tour with us. Look, we could have. We very well could have. But that doesn't leave Samu Karevi or Quade Cooper on very good terms with their clubs. And then we drop them at the end of the tour and say, okay, go back to Japan and, and have fun talking to your managers and coaches and uh, player agents and things. And you sort that out. And when we're going to be here next year when we need you. So it, it's not great for Rugby Australia to be doing that, and I, I'm glad that they haven't enforced it. I think one of the questions and the things that we really need to focus on about where this all went wrong was the management of this whole situation, and it, it's come out in these last few days, and it, it, very, it, it appears that there was no communication between Rugby Australia and the, the Japanese clubs a month ago or however long it was when the these players first joined the Wallabies to, to play in the rugby championship, there was never, it, it, it seems that there was never a conversation about, okay, we want to select Samu Karevi and, and Quade Cooper for the rugby championship. We also want to select them and have them play in the uh, European tour at the end of the year between these dates. Are you okay with that? Yes or no? And it appears that Rennie was under the assumption that he had those players for the tour. That's why he went out and he didn't. He picked them, and he left certain players like Lalesio back in Australia. Those discussions mm. didn't happen because the players have now been in Japan for that Japan test where the Wallabies played Japan, and then gone to their clubs and said, "We've been picked by the Wallabies. We want to go on this tour. Are you okay for us to do that?" And they've come back and said no. So then the players are in a situation where their clubs don't want them to go, but they've already been named and, and Australia Wallabies have announced and told the public that they're playing on this tour. So then they have to withdraw. That could have all been handled by a phone call at the very beginning of the inclusion. And that's where I think the, the situation fell apart. Now, I don't know whose responsibility that is. Is that Marinos to have that discussion? Is it Scott Johnson? It's probably Scott Johnson. Um, I don't want to blame point fingers at anyone at this situation because at the same time, we don't really know what's happened. 
We don't know. If and I, I want to was... throw this point in there as well, mate. Yep. Read the. I'll read the first sentence of or yes. the second sentence of Samir Karevi's post. So I've changed what I wanted to write in his post many times. I felt angry, sad, confused, betrayed, but mostly heartbroken. The thing that I find super fascinating about that second sentence is the word betrayed. Mm. So who has betrayed him? Who has who has said something to him and then gone back on what has been said? And this is just wild speculation, but it's hey, Hunter Paisami. it's it's, it's <laughs> because he's got his maybe it's Taniela Tupo, Taniela Tupo for continually um, jump scaring jump scares. Him. That's um, it. <laughs> I just wonder if the clubs initially gave permission and then have withdrawn it, particularly for Karevi after he had that initial ankle injury. Um, I wonder if they got cold feet on it because of the potential for injury to derail his season. So. They took him off it. Either way, that that could, inclusion of that word is could fascinating. Also, you could also look at that back and, and think that maybe someone within Wallaby's camp has said, we've spoken with your clubs, they've given the okay, it's all good, you're fine. And then it's got to Japan or Coop, or Karevi got that injury in the last rugby champs test and they thought, actually, yeah. we should probably follow up with Japan. They should be fine. It's all good. We'll name them. It'll be fine. They've spoken to the clubs and then they've said, uh, no, actually, we prefer they didn't tour. We don't want to risk yeah. the injury to them. And now it looks like they've been put in that situation by the Wallabies. So the, we could we could say so many things. We could point blame at so many different people. But the, the truth is we don't know. There's not enough information out there at the moment to really know where the decision lies. Some of the initial articles that came out by certain publications and certain journalists were really pointing the blame back at the players and saying the players were choosing not to play. There was some claims that Sean McMahon withdrew from the tour for personal reasons, that Samu Krevi was citing uh, mental health issues and that's why he didn't want to play because he, he couldn't didn't want to go back into quarantine and things like that. Quay Cooper, there was talks that Quay Cooper was withdrawing because he wanted to uh, preserve his body for the 2023 World Cup. That None of that has been actually confirmed by the Wallabies, by the players at all. What's really come out is that there has been a disagreement between the Japanese clubs and Rugby Australia. So there's so much in this. We don't know where the blame really lies, but at least it's happened now. And we should, as a nation, learn a lot from this. In terms of the ghetto law moving forward, we know what changes we need to make to be able to make these players eligible. But at the same time, we also know that just picking players who aren't contractually obliged to us through Rugby Australia will not always work in our favour. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of a humbling lesson, isn't it, on the power of club, the, the draw and the pull of clubs over players rather than the jersey itself. Yep. Uh, and it, it just it's just a reminder of the dangers of what could be happening if the ghetto law is abolished and it becomes open slather. Mm. Um, anyway, anyway, I feel like that's kind of enough on that point. Are you okay if we move on to now some of the discussion of players and what that means for the team yeah. itself moving forward? Yep. Okay, so like we've mentioned, um, no Quade Cooper, no Reese Hodge because of his injury means that Noah Lolasu has been um, drafted back in. Uh, the lack of Summer Karevi doesn't mean there's any change in terms of players, um, but Curtly Beal has also been brought in as cover for both 10 and 15. More so for 15, I reckon, but he'd probably be, what, a third choice 10? Anybody well, else in the team that can possibly play? Third choice 10, fourth choice centre. He could play anywhere in that back line. And yeah, really, he could play 12. 
We only need two injuries. If Hunter Paisami goes down injured or Lenikitao, then we're very, very short of depth in those positions. We're then looking at Parisi. Izzy Parisi, Lalakai Fakedi. Fakedi, who have... Parisi hasn't played a test cap yet, and Fakedi's played one. He's played off the bench, I think, in that first... that The Sydney test in 2019 um, against Gee, the All Blacks. Wow. I think that was the, the test that he played. But, yeah, yeah okay. I still think we don't have enough depth there. Um, so, Kurtley Beal could be the glue for this Wallabies team and really just hold the cracks together through this tour. Hey, well... Um... Look, this this is a challenging one to think of how that's going to affect our play because, I mean, Quade Cooper's been a 10 now for the last, um, how many games? Three. Two, four, uh, four games? Because he played both South Africa, both okay. Argentina yeah, games. four games, yeah. Um, and Japan, so five. So the last five games, he has been the starting 10 for it. And that's just a pretty monumental shift. The thing I'm thinking I enjoy is Cooper, sorry, is O'Connor, and Paisami lining up at 10-12. So you've got that instant connection between them from their Reds experience. Yeah, with McDermott um, at 9 so, as well. Yeah, look, I don't think we'll be starting McDermott, but him coming on I think is a really good thing as well. Maybe they'll bring him on a little bit early so he has more time playing alongside um, playing alongside. It's an Cooper. interesting uh, decision uh, that Ray, Dave Rennie now finds himself in is do you then, with Paisami in the centres and James O'Connor at 10, do you rely on that Reds back line, that spine? from Super Rugby, or do you just go yeah. with your best combination? So if you were to go off cohesion and game line analytics, what they talk about, the best thing to do would be to start James O'Connor at 10, Tate McDermott at 9, and Hunter Paisami at 12, because you've got yeah. the experience there, you've got the time in the saddle, you've got the cohesion factor. Uh, if you start Nick White, he hasn't played a whole lot with James O'Connor this year, and then you bench McDermott, you're bringing on uh, McDermott as the replacement nine, but then you're also potentially bringing on Alessio as the replacement 10, who together they haven't played a whole lot either. So Yeah, look, my thought within that initially, though, is that um, White has played with everybody else in the team for almost the entire entirety of this season. So although McDermott got some early starts, I think in a France series, um, it was White who's played basically the majority of the minutes from scrum half mm. for the rest of the rugby championship. But not with, and, not with Jock. Yeah, I know not with Jock, but with everybody else in the team, um, including the forward pack, yeah. including the other outside backs and that kind of thing. Um, but also with Reese Hodge not being there at 10, uh, not being there at 15, 15. sorry, Curtly Beal isn't a great um, kicker. And his his kind of in play kicks aren't wonderful. Paisami isn't a renowned kicker, although he's had some moments. Uh, what does that mean for our kicking game if we don't start White? Because White is a better uh, better controller of the play. He's got a better kicking game than McDermott. Yeah, so yeah, I just think you have to be you just have to be starting with White because of the lack of other kicking options throughout the rest of the back line. Yeah, yeah it's interesting to see what will happen. Very interesting. Mm. Mm. You reckon Pattaya or um, Beal to start at 15? Kellaway. Out or of Kellaway? those three options, I'd be starting Kellaway yep. at 15. I mean, he played the yeah, majority of that Japan test at 15. And granted, he didn't score as any tries. He, didn't, he wasn't as potent in that regard. He still set up one. And had he been on the wing, that the try that Pattaya scored, he would have scored that. So, um, yeah, I, yeah I, I would be leaning towards Kellaway at 15. Okay. 
Well, why don't we save any other commentary about the game until our predictions for the weekend later on in the show? Do we want to move on to the matches that just happened over the weekend? Let's get into it. Let's go. Okay, we're going to chat through the results from the weekend now. And so the first game was for the Awesome Nation series was held in Scotland with Scotland hosting Tonga. Final result was 60-14 to Scotland. Now, I personally was a little bit surprised by the, this result. I expected uh, Tonga to put up a little bit more of a fight. What was your reaction from this one, Endo? Yeah, I wasn't overly surprised considering the kind of coaching disruption they've had with the attack on Totai Kefu and the fact that he's not traveling with the squad and they've got an interim coach. Um, I think one of the assistant managers or assistant coaches has stepped up. So, look, there's just been a lot of disruption there. We know the problems that Tonga's had in getting a team together over the last few months anyway, and they've had some pretty... Uh, pretty poor results over the last six months. So the, I guess more to the point is I didn't expect Scotland to put on 60. Mm. Uh, they're a good team. They're a good team, don't get me wrong, but for them to score that many tries was a little bit of a surprise on my end. Yeah, that's what I think was surprised about most from this. And I haven't gone back and been able to watch this one yet, but uh, just a scoreline, 60 points on any team is is a lot. So uh, I we haven't seen a great deal from Tonga this year, unfortunately, but hopefully things get a little bit better as they move through the tour and a great start for Scotland as they move into Australia this coming weekend and they definitely won't be scoring 60 points this week. But uh, the second game of the weekend saw Wales hosting New Zealand and it was a bit of a blowout as well. So final score was 54 points, 216 to New Zealand. Now, there was a few key injuries that came out of this game. Unfortunately, Wales Welsh captain Alan Wynne-Jones redid his shoulder injury that he did at the beginning of the Lions tour. So at this stage, we don't know how long he's out for, but it's a massive blow to Wales, to already an under-strength side, uh, and it's going to be a long tour for them, I think. What were your thoughts around yeah. this game, Ando? <laughs> Yeah, look, having both him... So Alan Wynne-Jones went off, I think, in the 18th minute and then Ross Moriarty, the blindside flanker, went off um, in extra time in the first half. And he, but having both of them gone was a really big blow because the back line was already looking pretty pretty, um, pretty weak without, like, Dan Lydia, without... Um, Ah, oh, I'm Dan having bigger. a mental blank on something. Yeah, not at not at not in the back row. Dan bigger in the back row. Oh, How that sorry, go? I thought you said the back line. <laughs> no, nah, he'll play row. there. Put him there. Um, yeah, but basically, look, they are just hugely understrength, and so the the scoreline of fifty four to sixteen, I think, is a bit of a blowout. It's similar to what you saw within kind of the Wallabies game earlier within the Butterfly Cup, where. There have, um, they had two intercept tries on the weekend and that just kind of blew out the score beyond what maybe the game honestly reflected. And there's a little bit of contention about whether players like Bowden Barrett maybe should have had some time in the bin for his um Yeah, well, Bowden Barrett intercept. potentially gets a, a yellow card there or Nepo Lalala gets a red card for that contact to the head and we're looking at a different outcome potentially. So he's getting a red card for that hit, mate. He's getting a red card. Yeah, there's a lot about that, isn't there? Because, I mean, the, the Welsh player did duck his head very late into the contact. And very... And a pretty low tackle. Like, he very significantly dropped his head height. Not just his body yeah. height, but his head. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a little, it's a little of a bit of a grey area. And there are some questions asked around that 
uh, intercept or the slap down or the intentional knock on or whatever it's called. Uh, so some situations it happens and it's automatically a penalty trying a yellow card. Other places it happens, it's just a penalty. As a fan, you kind of sit there going, so we're in the, f- we're in the middle of the field. We're within their own half. Is this going to be a yellow card? Is this going to be a penalty try? What is it there? I know they take into account the attacking player coming across and situations like that, but very, very hard. And it's as a, on the defending side, uh, you don't know what your team's going to get. On the other side, you hoping that they get the yellow card and the penalty try, but it also doesn't always pull off either. Was there anyone yeah, in this game? Interesting... Yep. You go, you go. You go. I was going to say, was there anyone in this game that really stood out for you? Yeah, um, yeah, TJ Perinara stood out for me, mate. Um, I think that he has been tasked with a bit of a faf de clerk role in terms of spoiling the attack. Mm-hmm. So you saw you you see this regularly with faf, but it's the first time I've noticed it from TJ, where they start their run in from def- behind a defensive line, kind of where the scrum half usually sits, so five or ten meters back. But he times it so when the opposition scrum half is just about to feed the ball out from a ruck, he is just on side and then breaking through and pressuring whoever it is that's getting the ball, in this case, Gareth Amscombe. And after Amscombe's third minute intercept that he gave away to um, Bowden Barrett, it just seemed that he was off his game and this was an attempt to continue to pressure him because they just didn't have any particularly renowned ball distributors. I mean, they who did they have at 12? It was Johnny Williams at 12 and then Johnny McNichol at 15, and neither of, of them are renowned distributors. So if you can dis- disrupt Anscombe, then you've disrupted the majority of the Welsh ability to spread the ball wide and actually get some cohesive attack on. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, Perinara, yeah, impressed me within that. He hasn't played particularly well since his return. Yeah, um, so it's good just, to see Just him. to his lofty standards, yeah, yeah, but it's good to see him return. Right. Yeah, for sure. There's one element of this game that frustrates me, and it's something we saw in the Bledisloe, particularly the first two games earlier this year in New Zealand, was that, and it's all around showing the right image to the referee, but something the All Blacks consistently do when they go for a pilfer at the breakdown, they don't actually go for the ball. They place either their hands on the ground and get shimmy back onto the ball, similar to what kind of David Pocock used to do. Or in this instance, there was a number of them in this game, two or three I counted, where they actually just, they're holding the player on the ground. They're almost like supporting, using them to support their own body weight. But it looks to the referee like they're going for the ball, but their hands aren't on it. In this instance, I think there was one in the 15th, 16th minute of the game where Dalton Papalihi gets over one of the Welsh players and he's got one hand on the Welsh player's shoulder and the other on his hip, sort of on his shorts. And he's clearly not going for the ball, but he's getting shimmied by the Welsh defence and pushed back, but he's not holding the ball. He's holding the player on the ground and the referee ends up blowing a penalty to New Zealand for the player on the ground not releasing. I argue nine times out of 10, he's intentionally not going for the ball. He's intentionally holding the player on the ground, which isn't Winning the contact isn't trying to concede the turnover, is hoping for a penalty. It's, it's bad play, it's bad sportsmanship in my eyes, and I hope that they stamp it out of the game as soon as they can. Yeah, agreed. Just the picture of players just wrapping their arms around and just holding the player on the ground um, 
is just to me is not what a jackal or a turnover is meant to be. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, look, it was just a dominant display from a New Zealand team up against a Wales team that was missing so many quality players from their um, team. So you don't have Dan Bigger, you don't have Liam Williams, like Lee Halfpenny still on his massive injury. Uh, Reese Patchell is out for this entire um, 2021 international window with recurring um, recurring head knocks, concussion yeah. injuries. Yeah, yeah. So he's he hasn't played for Scarlets at all this season. Um, and you just have a bunch of players that would be in the team if they were fit, unavailable. And Wales does Wales is somewhat similar to Australia in that they don't have the biggest player pool. Um, ours is because we've got more competing sports. Theirs is because they're just a smaller country. Mm. Um, of I think it's like five or six million people with the whole population of their country. Um, so they just simply don't have the depth of player base. So they lose a few key players and come up against a New Zealand team, which is on song and they're going to struggle, and that's what we saw. Yeah, definitely. And and we will have to give a shout-out to Bowden Barrett, who gets his 100th cap for New Zealand. So well done to Bowden. And scored yep. two intercept tries. So, again, All Blacks scoring intercept tries and putting 50 points on teams is just the norm in 2021. So well done to the All Blacks. Good performance, and hopefully Wales can bounce uh, or find something to to bounce off for their game against South Africa this weekend. Now that leads us into population this... population of three million. Sorry, three million. So we ha- half million. of what we were look- chatting about before. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, yeah. Big ask, isn't it? And considering they're up there in one of the top the top ten in the world is is a big big thing for them and and one of the home nations as well. So they do exactly. take their rugby very seriously and we do love them for that. But let's look at this weekend's games and we're going to fly through this because we don't want this to drag on. Uh, I'll read out the games. And uh, you give me your prediction. If you want to throw in a comment, you can, but let's keep it short. So, first of Easy. all, Italy versus New Zealand. New Zealand by 40 because yeah. it's Italy. Yeah, easy. Uh, I'm hoping that New Zealand doesn't look two sides of a coin here, isn't it? It's like hopefully New Zealand puts out a B-grade side to just not absolutely pommel Italy. But at the same time, they're looking to 2023 now, so they're really starting to build some cohesion. But either way... Regardless, I still see them putting on a fairly convincing victory against Italy at the moment. So I'd say 40-50 again. Uh, Second game of the weekend, Ireland hosting Japan. Ireland by about 10. I think that Ireland is still going to be too strong. I'm really looking forward to seeing the the solid nature of the Irish defence coming up against the high ruck speed and tempo of the Japanese attack. That's going to be interesting to see how the Irish adapt to that. So, yeah, um, hopefully it's not raining as well. I think Japan will struggle if it's mm. just muddy kind of torrid conditions. Yeah, true. I'm going to go with Japan for this one. I like that they beat them in the World Cup last time they played Ireland. Bit of a bogey team for them. But I think that Japan is coming into this game with only, what, two or three weeks since their last test. They don't get a whole lot of tests together like this. So they're going to do a world of good for them to do that, to play so regularly over these next few weeks. They're going to build into this big game coming up, pushed Australia, pushed the British and Irish Lions. Let's get it done. Japan, uh, five points. Let's do it. Japan, five, five. Bold. I love it. Third game of the, of the weekend sees England hosting Tonga. Yeah, England by about 40 again. Uh, I think Tonga will be better for having had that hit out against um, Scotland. But 
England are a much better team than Scotland and this will be England's first team. They're not going to be first game of this kind of window. They're not going to be resting everybody. They're going to be putting out their full A team and it's not going to be a pretty match for Tonga. So I'm guessing by about 40, but I could see it being more. Yeah, I, I also think that, well, this will go a cricket score, unfortunately. So it will be yeah. a 40 or 50 point win for England. Uh, hopefully they play well. Um, hopefully Tonga can, can score some good tries as well. But you never know in the international window, anything can happen. So yep. let's look at the next game. So Wales is playing their second game of the series and they're playing South Africa. So got well and truly beaten this week by New Zealand, They now who are now world number one. They're now playing world number two in South Africa. And probably next week, I think we play them. So they play world number three. That's a big ask, isn't it, for poor little Wales? Yep. Uh, world one, yeah, two, and three in three weeks. But how do you see this one going? Uh, I reckon it's going to be South Africa by about 2021. 20, um, I think that the, the forward strength of the South Africans is going to be too dominant, particularly with the likely injuries to um, Moriarty and Alan Wynne-Jones. So when you take that into consideration, I just think South Africa are going to be too powerful, despite the fact that they have at times shown that they do have some width and attacking play and attacking spark to them. Um, I think their forward strength is going to be too much for Wales, who are going to be, who are particularly undermanned in that area. Yeah, I think this will be a pretty comfortable victory for South Africa, but I'm only going to say by probably 20 points at the most because South Africa are a team very much like the Wallabies at the moment where we don't seem to be able to put a whole lot of points on teams. Even if we are sort of all over them, we don't seem to rack up points like New Zealand can. So we don't see results against their opposition of 30, 40, 50 points. They're usually within that 14 to 20 range. Uh, yeah. So I think South Africa will get it done, but only by that 20 points. Next game, we see Argentina playing France in France. Yeah, look, France by a fair few here. I'm going to go probably 25-ish for this. Um, and that's mostly down to the silky smooth skills of Antoine Dupont and hopefully Romain Antomac as well if he's playing. I love those two together. Yeah, I think France will get this one done as well. Argentina came off a pretty hard rugby championships and they will get their European players back, but they haven't played together with these new combinations. So I think this France team will be fizzing and firing and looking forward to playing uh, New Zealand at the end of this tour. So they're going to want to put a good performance up against Argentina. Last game, most important game of the weekend, Scotland hosting Australia. How do you see this one going, Ender? I look... This one's really tough. I There's so much of me that wants Australia to win. I'm just not confident that with some of the changes that we've had, plus the fact that Scotland put 60 on Tonga over the weekend, uh, I'm tipping or leaning towards Scotland winning this game at home by about 10, even though I'm wanting with my heart of hearts for um, Australia to get up. You can't do it, Ender. You can't do it. Come on. We're an Australian podcast. We're positive. So Australia <laughs> going to win this one. Flip it around. Australia by 10. I uh, just think that Rennie's really putting together a really good side at the moment. We don't have Samu Kareva, we, Karevi. We don't have Quake Cooper. But leading into 2021, we didn't have them either. And we still put some good performances against France. And we pushed the All Blacks in those first few tests without either of those players. So I think what we do have is good enough. And as Australian fans, we just need to realise that we can win test matches without Samu Karevi and Quake Cooper. 
and they're going to we'll show see. this weekend. And I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I'm Genuinely. right. Oh, I'm right. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. Okay. We'll see. Um, cool. Well, why don't we head on then, because that was the last game of the weekend, to then move into the locker room. And I think this is a really good transition or um, segue, because we've had a couple of questions come in. Um, are you right if we jump into this? Yeah, any any issues to move on? Let's go. All right. So... Tom Heppy or Hep uh, on Facebook has got in touch and asked who gets first crack at 10 against Scotland and does it influence who will be picked as a starting nine? So for me, James O'Connor is first crack against Scotland and that doesn't influence the starting nine because I still think that Nick White is the clear cut candidate for the starting nine position for the Wallabies. If it was a little bit closer and McDermott had a better kicking game, which I think would will need then it would influence and be wanting to go for the reds combination but i still think that mcdermott is not as solid in terms of his passing accuracy and kicking strength and that with hodge out with um Jane, with Cade Cooper not being there and James O'Connor being really the only kicker in the entirety of the back line, except for Paisami does a little bit now and then, you need to have White there at nine, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think? Who's going to be the 10? Does that influence the nine? Yeah, I've got a pretty controversial call here. So, Kurtley Beale is currently playing fullback for Racing, 92 in France, and Finn Russell is playing 10 for the same team. Now, Finn Russell is one of the starting 10s for Scotland. Am I not? Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, it should be. So by that theory, Kirtley Beal's got Finn Russell's number, so we push Kirtley Beal to 10. And, <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. I can't keep this up. Um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, I think... Smoking. <laughs> in seriousness, I think that we stick with James O'Connor at the moment. Uh, I would love to see that back line come... Or the the backbone of that Reds team that won Super Rugby AU this year uh, get some good rewards. So I'd love to see Jock with Tate McDermott and Hunter Paisami outside him. But you raise a very good point that McDermott at the moment isn't as good a kicker uh, strategically as Nick White is. So Nick White needs to be that starting nine, but I still think James O'Connor will start over Noel Alessio this weekend. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. I'm glad we're in agreement though. Yeah. Because I hate it when we argue, Mitch. It just hurts yeah, my it's heart. Just... Um, <laughs> it stresses me out. Uh, <laughs> why don't we stick with the talk about the Wallabies itself? Uh, Hugh Tyndall asks, what's our game plan now with Karevi out? Uh, Karevi was so dominant, you could literally build the plan around him. Pasami is no Karevi as we need a new plan or attacking shape. My thought initially on this is that you don't need to just throw out our entire attacking shape because Karevi isn't there. Squid Rugby did a really good video, which he released recently about the Wallabies attack structure now under Scotty Wiseman, particularly how it was used to unlock the South African defensive structure. And the cool thing about it was um, it was all the players buying into it and it was all the players who were active in exploiting the weakness that had been identified in the South African Rush D. And so with that in mind, it wasn't just Karevi who was able to execute that. And so I don't think we just need to throw out the entire attacking shape and then say, okay, let's change everything that we're doing within our attacking setup. I think that there'll be uh, they'll be trying to just keep as many things in place as possible to make sure that they're not having players who are 
coming into the starting lineup again after a bit of time out of the starting team, having to not only combat the nerves of being back starting, as well as having to learn entirely new shape. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you've got a good point there around the attacking structure that Wise Mentals really brought, and Squidge highlighted that very well in his video, so definitely give that a, a, a watch if you haven't seen it yet. Um, my only, I guess, thought to that question is the reason Krevy was so useful was that he had the ability to hit the attacking line, hold that contact and not concede any meters in situations where the back line may not be quite set yet and we just need one more mm. um, phase to set up and then maybe play a, a, a pass out the back or move on to a set piece play or whatever it is. Uh, so Krevy was good at that. Hunter Paisami is great, but he doesn't have that ability to really hold a, a dominant tackle and not concede any game line. One player we have seen this year that is able to do that and is also able to bust the line isn't as big a body as Krevi, though, is uh, Parisi for the Waratahs. So I would love to see Parisi come in and see if he has that same ability to just be that link man and give us a little bit of extra time and another phase to set up what we're actually playing and get that ball movement going. He isn't as big a body as Karevi, though, so it would be interesting to see. He also doesn't have the experience or the game time with the players outside him, and it would be a bit of a gamble by Rennie. But I'd love to see it, see how it goes. But in all all, all reality, I think uh, Rennie will stick with Paisami there and try a very similar game plan to what's been working so far. Yeah, I think that they'll be wanting to avoid too much chopping and changing. And how interesting is it that we come into this thinking that our forward pack is our strength yeah. within this series? Like um, our forward pack over the last, I don't know, five years has never been shocking, but it's rarely been something that we would say is a dominant strength for us. I think 2015 um, is the last year that we've really said we've had a good dominant forward pack. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Well, um, well, let's move into our final question now, and that comes in from Jock Cudmore, who asks, what's the Oz Rugby administrators and media, or what's with Oz Rugby administrators and media making a bad situation worse? Out of context, comments by Kellaway earlier. Now Marinos and the media inflame the situation of the Japanese trio. Have we not learned this stuff just makes things so much worse? Uh, yeah, look, I think a part of it is just the realities of media and um, people choosing to take things out of out of um, out of context. So Kellaway's comments of now that I've played the All Blacks, the aura around them has gone, as opposed to the All Blacks aura has left them. They're a shadow of who they once were. Like they're entirely different things. And so I think that RA probably need to just foster better relationships where possible with the journalists or or even do the opposite. And whoever it was that, I can't remember who it was that started that article and started that thing, um, just never allow them to be part of a media conference again. <laughs> or, or ban them, ban them for like the next media conferences for a month and just go, no, if you're going to report crap like that, why should we let you be here? Yeah. Um, that, that would be interesting to me. Uh, but in terms of the Marinos stuff, uh, he just needs to wait like a day before opening his mouth when something happens. Uh, I'm really not happy with the way that Marinos just kind of shoots from the hip when something contentious happens. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think going back to the first part of that around the, the rugby administrators and media, we have a very unique situation in Australia in that we are, uh, in terms of our exposure and our, our presence on the 
Australian sport landscape, we're a small party. We are an international sport. We have, outside of soccer and cricket, I think we're probably the third most watched sport around the world. Um, can, definitely compared to NRL and, and AFL and what else you're considering as sports racing, maybe. But um, we have that small presence and we're not good as a sport at and marketing ourselves and having access and communication with the media. But we've also now shot ourselves in the foot by having a, a bad relationship with Fox Sports. Now, Fox Sports has control of the NRL. They have control of the AFL. They spread a lot of stories around that. They are now spreading negative stories about rugby. So we're already a small sport getting negative press from one of the major sporting media outlets in, in our country. It doesn't help. In saying that, Rugby Australia also doesn't do well to promote the sport. They don't, uh, they don't release information to other media outlets. Like very rarely do you see on just the ABC News, um, the news of the Wallabies' victories over the weekend. I've not turned on a, a sport, a news channel outside of Channel Nine now that has said, "Oh, the Wallabies are, win- are on their fifth win. They've won against Japan." Like you don't see that, but that's also because Rugby Australia is not making those those stories known to those outlets. So we need to do more in that regard. The question around Marinos, again, very, very concerning that we're now, he's probably six months into this official appointment, maybe a year, and he's already handled two situations very poorly. Uh, Just come out and, and, and said things in the media that are sort of off the cuff and really he needs to wait and, and cool off before he makes an official statement because He's making the situation worse. That New Zealand situation could have been handled a lot better by him before it went to the media. Said things that we don't know are true or not. Makes him look yep. bad. Makes the game look bad. Now this uh, international Japanese trio situation, again, doesn't look good. We've got uh, today Hamish McLennan came out and did an article with the, the Sydney Morning Herald around basically supporting the Japanese players and saying, we actually understand that they are in a hard place too, that the, they've got the contractual obligations to the Japanese clubs. They want to play for Australia. It doesn't work. We feel for them. It's not great. We're all hurt and trying to sort of soothe all of the, the water between all the parties. But that's what Marinos should have been doing. He shouldn't be coming out and making things worse and sprouting things in the media about how these players are bad and they've done the wrong thing. By Australian yeah, rugby. Yeah. And I think that's going to happen. He'll he'll learn a job and probably even have McLennan be like, dude, shut up. Um, <laughs> just wait. Just wait before you uh, shoot from the hip and, and just get your voice out there. Uh, I mean, one of the things I'd really like to see is, is him to go, look, it is, it's, it's unfortunate this has happened. There are things that we need to be looking at and we'll provide a, a more detailed statement in the coming days. Exactly. Something like that that's just a preemptive... Um, comment to say yeah we know it's happened yeah we're not happy about it but we'll we'll provide you with more we'll information wait till facts come to the table and then we'll make our yeah known. yeah once sure. we've spoken to everybody you know exactly what's going on so look it's there's a lot to go on there but yeah it's super frustrating completely agree with you jock that you want to see better from australian rugby administrators and the media but let's also be honest that the australian rugby administration has actually been in a much better place for the last, say, 12 months or so. Yep. Um, if you think back to the crap show that was the um, 
dismissal of Raylan Castle. That was just an absolute low point. So let's just be thankful that we're not in that type of infighting and exactly. civil war. Yep. So, all right, mate, I think we can finish it up there. Do you? I do, yeah. Great pod. Welcome back. It's great to have you back on the pod. It's great to talk some rugby. Very excited to watch the Wallabies play this weekend against Scotland. Still undecided whether I'll get up and watch it at 3 a.m. or 1.15 or whatever time the kickoff is or watch it delayed later on. But uh, very excited this time of year. It's always great to get up some good test matches against the European unions. And um, hopefully we'll go six from six. Absolutely wonderful. Well, let's get in. Speak to you soon, mate. And looking forward to getting back here next week to chat through what is hopefully a Wallabies win. Catch you, everybody. Bye. Bye.